The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 133 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Holy cow, we have a great show for you, not just today, but this week, because for the first time in a while, I can tell you already that we are going to have a bonus episode later this week. That's because this week, the Sample Chapter Podcast is featuring the Six Gun Justice podcast authors as guests of the shows. Yes, I mentioned that show a few weeks ago, and now I have the privilege of bringing you not just one of the hosts, but both of them. So later in the week, we're going to have Richard Prosh, which means today, as you already know from the title of the show, we have, we have the pleasure of speaking with Paul Bishop. You might know Paul already as a uh, TV reality show star from Take the Money and Run, where he was the lead interrogator uh, in that reality show. So amazing stuff. Uh, but Paul and I are going to have a great, great conversation talking about writing characters of the opposite sex how pitching stories to Bruckheimer Studios led to being the face of that show, uh, putting his skills as an interrogator into his books, and the importance of learning a new skill, such as podcasting. <laughs> All that and so much more. It's a great conversation. I had such a fun time speaking with Paul. And let me tell you, when it comes to his reading today, it's going to leave you with questions. It's going to make you wanting more. And I already know some of the details of what's coming up after this because I I was I was invested. I wanted to know. Wait a minute, where, you're leaving it off right there. What's what's going on? What's happening? He he gave me a little bit of heads up, but you know, still, I wanted to know more. So you're gonna love this reading, and you're gonna want to know more as well. So stay tuned. That interview with Paul Bishop is coming up here in just a moment. But oh my goodness, what an amazing month we're having with the show so far. Uh, just a little over the halfway mark of the month of August, and we've already surpassed. Uh, the show's best month ever. That's just, that's just incredible. Uh, but it comes from new listeners in countries that are you know that have never picked up the show before. Countries like Sri Lanka, Costa Rica, Pakistan, and South Africa. Which oh and hey, I just got an email from an author in South Africa, so we're gonna work that out. Uh, hopefully they'll be on the show here soon. So just amazing locations, you know. And that's in addition to the already. Uh, what is it, more than 40 other countries that listen to the show already. In- incredible locations, people people all over the world listening, and I just, holy cow, you guys are really blowing my mind. I just, I love it, and uh, I'm so happy to be bringing you these incredible authors, and hopefully you're finding lots of wonderful, wonderful books. You know, and our social media has really grown by leaps and bounds of late as well. Along with some incredibly kind shout-outs from past guests like uh, Dan Brigman, Greg Hickey, Iris Long, Angela Daniels, Matthew Wayne Selznick, who was just on here recently. You know, wonderful, wonderful shout-outs from them, uh, recommending the show to other authors and to you know, readers alike. Uh, some, some great shout-outs from other shows like uh, Monster Attack. They, they share a lot of our episodes, which is... Yeah, and that's a uh, wonderful show from the Project Entertainment Network. Also, another show from Project Entertainment is Wild Speculation. They just finished season two, and 
so kind of them to suggest listening to this show uh, to find more fiction and uh, just some some really great stuff. I really appreciate Andrew Rising giving me that shout out. So uh, make sure you go check out Wild Speculation when you get a chance to. And like I said, season two just ended, but he'll be back later on this year. And of course, uh, a big shout out to my buddy Ryan Miller, who is also uh, yet another show with the Project Entertainment, the Your New Opinion show. Ryan's always got really nice things to say about this show, and uh, I just really appreciate it. It's, it's he he doesn't have to do that. You know, no none of it, none of you out there have to do that. So that you take a moment to share this show with your social media or on your own podcast or in any way at all that you're sharing this show really speaks volumes to me and it really does just melt my heart uh thank you so much to all of you thank you thank you thank you i I love you guys you're incredible and um yeah i can't wait to uh, bring on some more authors and uh, share this with all of you if you would like to follow the show on social media please do at facebook and twitter we are just the sample chapter podcast very easy to find those locations are growing, like I said, by leaps and bounds week after week. You can also follow us on YouTube, where at least every two to three weeks, we've got a new follower on that outlet over there. So that's turned into quite the interesting place to uh, to go and check out the show. That's where the artwork is popping up in the background while the episode plays. So it's really cool to do uh, to check that out. You can also reach us at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com. If you're not a social media kind of person and you just want to reach out to me personally, you can do that there through that email. And, of course, you can always give me a call, leave me a voicemail at 660-851-1146. Just, uh, yeah, and I think, I believe you can even text me on that. So, <laughs> that'll come right on over and I'll be happy to share your message with the world if you have anything that, uh, that you want to say. But, uh, you know, give me an author recommendation through email or text or uh, or give me a call. Well, before we get on over to Paul Bishop, I want to first say thank you so much to our sponsors, starting with you Store All, the premier self-storage facility in the Warrensburg area. They have two locations, both of them fully fenced, gated, and with climate control available, climate control and non-climate control at both locations. They have more than 60 cameras recording 24 hours a day. Both facilities are also lit with LED lighting and powered by solar power, so they are a clean and green facility. Check them out online at ustoral.net. That is spelled the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. Scrivener, my favorite writing software. I love it. I have been all over Scrivener here recently. My writing has finally just skyrocketed again. I was looking at my numbers and uh, I ended up July turned into my best, my second best month of the year uh, that I've been doing some writing. So that's a good sign. That's a good sign that I finally have turned the corner and gotten productive again. And I was very, very happy to see that. Oh my gosh, I've been working on three different stories recently. And, uh, you know, editing in there with a novel idea is coming along really well. I'm I'm pretty anxious. I think I'm going to make it. But, you know, it, without Scrivener, I'd, it, the process would be so hard to do because you can't bounce around chapter to chapter on Word or, you know, some other on a notepad for that matter. Scrivener makes it all so easy to just save what you got, to move the chapters around. So, you know, I, I can't even begin to explain 
all the wonderful benefits of it. So check out this commercial for a little bit more information and a special on how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Okay, let's see if I can get through the rest of this without flubbing my lines as much as I was there for Scrivener. <laughs> uh, hey, our uh, podcast networks that we are a part of, a very big family which is Pop Goes the Culture. That was our first network that we joined up with about a year and a half ago, right here out of Springfield, Missouri. The Pop Goes the Culture Network is a group of everything pop culture related, shows, podcasts, blogs, uh, just you name it. It's all right there at their website, popgoestheculture.com. Shows like The Amazing Nerd Show, Fanatics and the Fan, The Way Awesome Show, and of course the flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture, which is currently on a little bit of a hiatus. They are making plans for their next season, uh, what they're going to be doing. But still, the past episodes are there, so you can go check that out. So click that link in the show notes to find out more about everything pop culture related right there at the Pop Goes the Culture Network. And you've already heard me talking about the other network a little bit already, Project Entertainment, with shows like I was saying, the Your New Opinion, Monster Attack, and Wild Speculation, along with 30, 31 other podcasts on the network. You are sure to find something to tickle your fancy over there. Other shows like Matters of Faith, Hobbies Include Writing, Hash Time, Hard at Work, The Armcast, Bazong, and so many more. Check them out over at Project Entertainment Network, or click the link in the show notes. Do you like horror movies? Do you like collecting things? Do you like collecting Blu-ray special editions of horror movies? Well then, The Horror Academics Guide to Movies is the show for you. It's a web series where every month I pick one modern classic and determine which is the best version that I recommend that you should own. I talk a little bit about the history of the movie, and in the end, you get to see what films should be in your home collection of horror's modern classics. That's the Horror Academics Guide to Movies on YouTube every month and now part of the Project Entertainment Network. All right, I'm going to stop talking because I keep messing this up really bad and we're going to get ourselves on over to that interview (laughs) with Paul Bishop. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back to another very exciting episode of the Sample Chapter podcast. (laughs) I'm going to say that name twice. This week, we are sitting down with novelist, screenwriter, and television personality, Paul Bishop, who is a nationally recognized behaviorist and deception detection expert. He is the author of 
15 novels and starred as the lead interrogator and driving force behind the ABC TV reality show Take the Money and Run from producer Jerry Bruckheimer. He is also the co-host of the exciting new Western-themed Six-Gun Justice podcast with Richard Prosh. Paul Bishop, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I'm glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. And it's one of the exciting things I get about this show is that I get to introduce people and uh, authors to uh, a world that maybe I'm not aware of or that uh, is new to me. And I just ran across you, what, maybe a month ago, I think, where uh, you reached out to me and told me about your show. And I immediately downloaded like every episode that weekend. It was such a great show. And so I'm so happy to have you on here now. Thank you. We, we've enjoyed doing the Six Unjustice podcast and and we will keep doing so for as long as we're still enjoying it. <laughs> now, you have quite the successful career before you began writing. Is that correct? Well, I had two careers simultaneously. I was actually, I spent 35 years with the Los Angeles Police Department, 30 of those years uh, working sex crimes, 20 of them running a unit of about 30 detectives that covered 25% of the city. We did everything from soup to nuts, from indecent exposures through child molest all the way up to sexual homicides. Oh my gosh. Now, were you doing any writing during that time? I wrote uh, at that same time. I had uh, at least, I think, 10 or 11 of my novels published during that time. And it was just interesting to run those two con concurrently. And people will say, well, when did you sleep? And I went, I have no idea. <laughs> there seems to be something about that. It's like that, that deadline or the uh, just getting the idea out. And uh, sleep just takes a, a backseat to uh, the creative process, that's for sure. Well, I was very fortunate. I mean, ever since I was eight years old, um, there were only two things that I ever wanted to do, and that was put villains in jail and put words on paper. And I've been able to do both. So um, it's been very gratifying in that way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'd say so. That's kind of a, a, a dream Well, for myself. I mean, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s so very much in that vein of uh you know still with the the old west and uh clint eastwood being either dirty harry or the man with no name so i had a lot to uh, look up to growing up so being some kind of a lawman or the seek for truth and justice was always right there at the forefront for me so this is this is exciting to hear a little bit about that what was one of your first novels that came out that you that you worked on well, the first novel I ever wrote was a Western uh, under a house name, um, Pike Bishop, and it was a part of a, a package series called Diamondback, and I wrote the number six in that series, uh, Shroud of Vengeance. But very shortly after that, my actual first novel under my own name came out. It was called Citadel Run at that time, and in recent years, it's been retitled as Hot Pursuit, and it came about from actually a rumor at LAPD of guys that, uh, this is back in the 70s when you could do things like this, uh, would drive to either Vegas and back or uh, Tijuana and back on duty in their police cars during one eight hour shift. And they would drive to Tijuana, get their picture taken in a sombrero with some guy on a moth eaten donkey, or drive to Vegas and get their picture taken outside of the uh, casino there and drive back. And <laughs> while they were gone, in those days, all radio calls came out to every car and you could buy a call. In other words, if, if a call went to a unit and you were closer, you would buy that call from them. So the other units that were working that night would cover for the guys that were on the run. 
I can't admit to ever doing or not doing that run because the statute of limitations hasn't run out yet. But it was something that was totally LAPD. There was there was never, you know, this type of thing was never done by any other department. So it was a for me, it was a unique story. And the difference that I had to do to make it into a book or a tale, you have to have that conflict. So it turns into a grudge match between two sets of officers, a grudge race. And, you know, one of them is, is in his last weeks before retirement. If he gets caught, he's going to lose his retirement because he's got a sergeant who hates him, is trying to track him down and catch him out. Um, and so it, it was a book that, for me, was very different. And I've still never seen anybody come up with a plot that's close to it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's just, I've, I've never even heard of anything like that. But it's, it, it sounds riveting. <laughs> And then, you know, from that, um, the publisher wanted a sequel. Well, where did I go from there? Um, one of the characters had retired by the end of the book and, you know, his partner was still on the job. So how did I bring them back in a form that made sense? And um, I wrote a book called uh, Sand Against the Tide, which has since been retitled Deep Water. Um, and again, it was another situation unique to LAPD for years, we used to take all of our confiscated guns and drugs and put them on a garbage uh, barge and take them out in the ocean and sink them. Well, eventually there were whales that were beaching themselves in, uh, along the California coastline and they were being found to have traces of PCP and other drugs in their brain. Hmm. So there's this big movement to shut down these dumps of huge dumps of drugs and guns into the ocean, causing pollution, basically. Um, so I decided, well, what if the last barge that goes out for the very last dump um, with all those drugs and all those guns on it gets hijacked? And that was the basis for that story for me. Wow. Okay. Now, was this did these stories, does that run along with your uh, Detective Faye Croker series, or is that separate? Um, Faye Croker was a separate series that started um, after, there was another book in between uh, called uh, Chapel of the Ravens, now called Penalty Spot Shot. Um, and then the Faye Croker book series started. And one of the things I did with Faye Croker, I, I had real trouble uh, establishing a series because my characters change so much from the beginning of a book to the end of a book that going on to the next book, it was with a, you know, a totally different character who had been through this uh, fire um, and, and it changed. So with Faye Croker, I literally sat down and before I'd even sold the first book, I had plotted out a four book story arc so that I knew where I wanted the character to end up at the end of all four books. The plots are, standalone, but they are connected by the characters growing and changing and all the things that she goes through. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> well, and I love that, that you have a, a female protagonist on this too. This is, is you don't see it enough, I think. So this is a, a, a great way to uh, bring in uh, more readers. Well, for me, it was very gratifying. Um, most of my partners on the job have been female, my long-term partners, so I knew what they went through on a daily basis. And it was very gratifying when female officers or detective would read the book and they would come up and they would say, how do you know this stuff? 
because <laughs> it, doing the job is very different for them than it, it was you know, for men at that time. Things are changing, but it's still a, a male-dominated uh, profession. And that, you know, I was able to bring a lot of those things out uh, through Faye Croker. And for me, it made it interesting. Yeah. Now, was there a, much of a challenge to that to get into the mind of a, of a you know, the opposite sex? Not at that time, because um, Faye Croker is written in the third person. So I am mm. once removed from that. The, the challenge would come later when I wrote a book called, my most recent book called Lie Catchers, uh, which is about um, two interrogators. And uh, it's told from the perspective of the, the female interrogator, Jane Randall. And because intimate, uh, interrogation is such an intimate art, I needed to write it in the first person because that's much more intimate than the third person. So I really had to change my outlook and perspective from writing a third person female with Faye Croker to now this very intimate first person uh, Jane Randall character, because you just don't want it coming out sounding like a male with, with breasts, basically. That's not what you want. You want this to be a fully well-rounded uh, female character. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you do some editing outside of the... Uh... Uh, we'll call it the, the law enforcement genres, um, well, like the science fiction. Do you, is that like a nice break for you, or is that something that you'd like to get into, writing something beyond uh, law or westerns? Um, you know, for me, uh, I'm really happy in the western genre right at the moment, and, and the men's adventure. And, and you know, I have a position as an acquisition editor for Wolfpack Publishing, so the books that I bring on there and that I edit and read are mostly Westerns with um, some now crime thrillers that I brought in. So uh, that's a change of pace for me. And that that's more enough. Science fiction is, is pretty much out of my wheelhouse uh, <laughs> as is fantasy. So I kind of leave those areas alone. I've got enough to do with the genres that I am dabbling in. You're definitely a busy, busy guy. I mean, I, I'm not even sure that you really retired because it's just how busy you seem to be. Well, it's, People, I don't tell people that I'm retired. I just tell them I'm in my third act. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I'm hoping really, I'm getting... I, I truly am as busy as I ever was, but I'm now doing things that I want to do as opposed to things I had to do. Oh, well, that makes it all the more worth it, worthwhile whenever you can do that. And I was fortunate. I mean, I really loved my job and my career with, with the department. And um, it, it's where I learn to do what I do as a, you know, a nationally uh, recognized interrogator now. I also am able to go around the country, not at the moment with the pandemic on, mm -hmm. but I, I've taught numerous uh, police departments all across the nation uh, interrogation techniques. And then I also you know, get to do some consulting. And, and so I have a lot of different areas that, that really keep me on the hop. So now that, that kind of leads right into the next thing I was wondering about. Now, how did that come about where you got onto this, uh, the reality show, Take the Money and Run? That was a, an interesting process. I had uh, um, been out many times to pitch uh, television series ideas to producers and, and at the studios and one thing and another. And I had gone to Bruckheimer's studio 
and pitched this idea about an, an elite team. It's always an elite team, isn't it? <laughs> of uh, interrogators who go around the country solving crimes using their interrogation techniques, which are very different than what most people think they are. And we didn't get anywhere. They were very polite, but, but no go. Well, about six months later, I get a call from um, one of the vice presidents over at Brockheimer's company. And, and she says, ever since you came in and, and uh, pitched us that story about uh, the interrogators, I've, I've been thinking about you and I think I have the perfect show for you. I went, great, what am I gonna be writing? She said, no, 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 we, we want you to be the on-air talent. And I'm going, okay, who is this? And I don't think this is very funny. <laughs> I thought I was being punked. But the, real, the idea of the reality show is they truly needed somebody who um, was an interrogator. And uh, so my partner and I, um, we certainly were not the general reality show personalities. I mean, you know, I have a, a you know, a, don't have a six pack. I'm not some 20 something, but uh, um, they needed somebody with the experience in order to uh, make the show work. And so we had a fun time. We did, uh, we did six shows that lasted one summer season and it was a real great experience. And then it was back to work <laughs> in the real world. Yeah, <laughs> right, there's your your 15 minutes on screen for the that's for it. now. That's it for now. So <laughs> now, in addition to the other writing, you also bring about the Paul Bishop presents tales of murder and mayhem. Now, how did this come about? Um, Mike Bray, who's the CEO over at Wolfpack, um, and who published all of my books and and I brought all of my backlist back into print. He, uh, he approached me with the idea of doing a series of anthologies under the Paul Bishop Presents banner and up to me to go out and, and pull in 10 authors for each book who would provide the stories. And so I had a lot of fun doing that, you know, brought in a lot of people that I know, brought in some unknown writers and gave them a shot at, at writing a story. And each, uh, each of the anthologies would have a, a loose theme and it seemed to work very well. They sold well, and, and we did four of them, and there may be some more coming up but uh, of a Western theme. Well, that sounds exciting. Well, now, to this point, then, you've got, so the detective novels, you've also got the Westerns, and then uh, you know, a few in between. You're kind of getting to write what you want to write, which is really exciting. Um, is there something that you... I don't know, that you haven't done yet that you're really looking forward to doing in the near future, perhaps? Yes, finishing the sequel to Lie Catcher. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since that book came out, and there are a lot of people who are uh, uh, after me to, to finish the sequel off, and, and that's something that I really need to do. <laughs> well, now, how how is it getting into the heads of... Um, some of the characters, do you, do you kind of pull or glean information from your career, like the, the villains or uh, the other police officers? Everything is a grist for a writer's mill. Um, you're not necessarily uh, copying anybody in particular, but you're taking one characteristic from somebody, a characteristic from yourself, and, and combining them to create a, a real character on the page. I think from the job, a lot of the, the dark humor that goes on in law enforcement, uh, that's where that came from. But you still have to create characters that are different enough in 
doing their job differently that you can stand out a little bit from all the other authors that are working in the same genre. Hmm. So okay. for instance, um, go around the country teaching interrogation to law enforcement. Most of the people in the class are experienced detectives with you know five to 25 years on the job. They, they do interrogation every day, it's their careers. And if this is a two day seminar on the second day, I have a more experienced guy is coming up to me and they're, they're angry, but not at me. They're angry saying, why didn't we know this stuff before? Why hasn't anybody told us this stuff before? Because I saw that with this suspect and I didn't know what it meant and, and he got away because it's not the ones that we get that stay with us, it's the ones that we don't get that haunt us. So I had an epiphany that if my experienced detectives don't know about these techniques and how interrogation really works, then my readers won't. So mm. it gave me a niche of my own that was different than all the other people that were writing police procedurals. That's fascinating. Very fascinating. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring up the podcast, the Six Gun Justice podcast, which, as I said, I'm an immediate fan of this. And it's, it's like reliving my childhood, listening <laughs> to these Westerns. And, the, and I have filled out my to be read file with so many books that you all have, have talked about on here, the series. And I, I am just ever grateful to have found this show. How did, how did this start? And how did it, you know, what was the genesis behind it? Um, honestly, I like to learn a new skill every year. And this year it was podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I called up Rich Cross, who was a friend of mine and a Western writer. And I said, hey, how about we do this podcast together? And so we just kind of built it from there. And we learned, you know, the equipment that we needed, the hosting, the all of the things that go with podcasting. And we really enjoyed that. And then it was time to start putting it on the air. And we... Um, you know, we've learned along the way. We've, we've gotten better and better with each episode, hopefully. But we were wide enough that uh, we could either do Western novels, Western movies, or Western TV shows, or even radio shows or comics. Whatever Western media there was out there, we could include in the shows. And we started doing things like pitting the Wild Bunch against the Magnificent Seven. So we would talk through the films you know, the pros and cons of both films, kind of like a film critique, and then come to a conclusion of which one of those two we liked better and why. Um, we took 310 to Yuma, the original and the remake, and did a comparison for one episode. And that was a lot of fun. So we're finding ways of um, reinvigorating the Western genre. That's what we're trying to do. We know that there is still a large audience out there for Westerns. How do we know this? Well, you know, some of the USA Today best-selling books are the William Johnstone Westerns that are out there. And then there's the Ralph Compton brand. And there's a lot of Westerns being sold. Somebody's got to be reading them. But it's yeah. a largely silent audience. And hopefully the podcast is going to be a way to reach out to them and, and bring them into a Western genre community. We established the Six Gun Justice Podcast Book Club. So every month we decide on two books that we're going to read or and uh, then we have a Zoom meeting at the end of the month where everybody comes in and we talk about those two books. So lots of different things like that. It's about establishing community. And I just love doing that. And then things surprise us, like our most listened to episode was the episode we did on uh, TV tie-in novels. 
Oh, yeah. Why would that episode more than any others be the one that, that people were drawn to? So it's an interesting <laughs> process. Well, and I love that, you know, so many times with, with the podcasts that are genre related, it's you hear about the classics, you hear about Louis L'Amour or, uh, you know, name, name your big name. Uh, but I love that you guys also will pull up the forgotten names. So like when you, when you all started talking about the Fargo books, it rang a bell in the back of my head and I suddenly had a cover came to the front. I'm like, I remember that. Wait a minute. And I immediately, I had to like start pulling up Amazon and started looking up the books. And as I'm listening to it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, yes. I remember those on the, on the shelves and like old TG and Y stores and, and stuff. Exactly. It's just, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, yeah, you know, that's another series that has been added to my <laughs> to be read file. Just that little bit of uh, nostalgia for the forgotten readings uh, that you don't hear about too much anymore, but you guys are talking about it, and I love it. Thank you. We appreciate that. Uh, sometimes we end up going down rabbit holes, but uh, we always <laughs> come up at the other end and, and have, have enjoyed the journey. Well, you know, sometimes I think the rabbit hole is uh, the funnest part of, of any given show. I mean, I agree with you. Um, so if it happens, it happens, uh, and we get away from the script, that's fine. Uh, and it's led to some interesting conversations. And, you know, like you, many of our listeners are saying, you know, we're, we're collecting these titles and these, um, you know, shows that we want to go back and watch that we've forgotten about. And that's very gratifying for us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I love it. So today's book, the one that we're going to be hearing from today is Lie Catchers. Uh, what can you tell us about this without spoiling anything? Lie Catchers is about uh, uh, two LAPD detectives, Ray Pagan, who's a interrogation specialist, and Calamity Jane Randall, who's very good at what she does, but um, also ends up and uh, messes a lot of times, not of her making and thus the name Calamity. Um, the book starts where she is coming back after having been shot in the leg after uh, taking down a, a human trafficking ring. And she's called in by the chief of police and she is worried that she's gonna be pensioned off medically um, because she's walking with a cane. And he basically tells her that he's got an opening for her. And she doesn't want a desk job, obviously, but she, he's gonna pair her up with this guy named Ray Pagan who is a legend in the department. Um, he's either loved or hated uh, vociferously. <laughs> and so she doesn't know anything about him other than his reputation. And I'm gonna read the second chapter, which is where uh, she's just been told that the chief wants her to partner up with Pagan and she's going to the courthouse to uh, meet him. And he is up on the stand about to give testimony. And that's where we'll start the second chapter. Fantastic. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed this, and uh, I yeah, I look forward to uh, corresponding with you, and of course, checking out every episode of your own podcast. And uh, best of luck to you with that. Where can people find and follow you? Um, you can go to sixgunjustice.com. That's our website. We put up regularly uh, uh, renewed reviews, interviews, um, and and. Uh, all of those types of things related to the Western genre. I think you'll find a lot to like there. And of course there are links to all of our uh, Six Gun Justice podcast episodes. And as I, we do a full length episode every other week. In between we do what we call a speed listen, 
which is where either Rich or I uh, host a 15-minute show, everything you need to know about a particular subject in under 15 minutes. And then every Wednesday, we release a Six-Gun Justice conversation, which is either Rich or I uh, having just a great informal chit-chat with one of our friends or fellow writers from the Western genre, people who love the Westerns as much as we do. So there's a lot of content out there. Yeah. And and how about you yourself? Do you have a website or anywhere? Yeah, Paul. It's uh, www.paulbishopbooks.com. All right. Wonderful. And I'll make sure to have links in the show notes for all of this. Everybody can click in there and uh, find and follow. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a real treat for me. And My uh, pleasure. I, I know people are going to have a good time with this. Ladies thank and gentlemen. You. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to step aside with a drink and a cigar and listen to our guest, Paul Bishop with Lie Catchers. This is chapter two from Lie Catchers. It starts with an epigraph. She entered the territory of lies without a passport for return. Graham Greene, the heart of the matter. LA's airport superior courthouse on South La Cienega was always a hive of activity. I took the elevator up to Department S and took a seat in the back. I noticed two Los Angeles Times reporters, a jerk from the LA Weekly who had burned me twice, and several stand-up talking heads for the networks and cable channels in the audience. This was unusual, especially for a 30-year-old case with an octogenarian murder suspect and a total non-celebrity victim. The draw had to be Ray Pagan. It was a deep freeze case he'd been working. He'd apparently found something in the old case file and then gone on to obtain the confession, which was currently the main evidence against the suspect. The defense was preparing to start cross-examination as Pagan re-entered the witness box after the lunch break. I could see he was very tall and looked to be wiry under a well-cut suit and a style I'd never seen before. It had a silver-blue sheen and he wore it over a black shirt and silver tie. His shoes were muted, but the same basic color as the suit. Who was this guy? I knew a few detectives on the department who were sharp, but conservative dressers. Pagan was from a whole different fashion show. When he took his seat on the witness stand, every eye in the room was riveted upon him. The jury members were leaning forward, as were all the reporters in the audience. Even Judge Rita Billings, as hard-bitten as they come, had turned her chair and was looking at Pagan intently. I couldn't believe it, but there was a trace of a smile on her thin lips. Do I need to remind you about being under oath, Detective Pagan? The judge asked. No, Your Honor, I've done this once or twice. Pagan's voice was honey over spikes, and I swear he turned up the wattage on the sly, brilliantly white-toothed smile he sent her way. Pagan's straight black hair was brushed back from a devil's peak on his forehead, dropping over his collar at the back. As he turned to face the defense attorney, Pagan ran his hands back through his hair, securing it behind his ears, and sobered his expression. No crew cut or department regulation tapered back and sides for this guy. His features were dark, high cheekbones, hooded eyes, his thin aquiline nose had been broken in some distant fracas. From the amount of time he had on the job, I knew he must be in his early 40s, but he looked 10 years younger. Gerald Raines was a big time hired gun defense attorney, tennis fit and quaffed within an inch of his life. His dark blue suit cost three times more than any other suit in the courtroom, including Pagan's. He rarely had difficulty handling even experienced prosecutors like Peter Simmons, whom he was facing today. However, I got the feeling even Reigns was intimidated by Pagan. 
Next to Raines sat the defendant, Arthur Howell. In his 80s, Howell was bent with age. The black suit he wore bagged at the elbows and knees. He was accused of stabbing and killing an ex-army buddy 30 years ago. Howell had served with the victim in the Pacific during World War II and had survived POW camp in the Philippines with him. After returning stateside, they had lived close and remained best friends. None of the detectives in the original investigation had even looked at Howell as a suspect. Even now, the only real evidence against him was the confession Pagan had elicited after reopening the case. Detective Pagan, Raines paused to clear his throat, excused himself and started over. Detective Pagan, isn't it your job to convict my client? Pagan sat comfortably upright in the hard wooden witness chair, not moving forward to speak into the microphone in front of him as almost everybody did. My job is to search for the truth. Isn't it true you would do anything to convict my client? I would use all legal means at my disposal to uncover the facts in this case and reveal who committed the crime. Pagan's voice was sincere and unruffled. Raines touched a file on the table in front of him. I see in the transcript of the interrogation, you told my client after 30 years, his DNA had been recovered from the murder weapon, when in fact it had not. Wasn't that a lie? Ray looked directly at Raines, his gaze unwavering, his voice not changing. Yes, it was. Do you lie to all the people you interrogate? On occasion, I use deception as a technique to test the response of some people I question. But you admitted you lied to my client. Yes. Pagan's voice held no trace of irritation or guilt. Then how can we possibly believe anything you tell us now? I lied to the defendant during my interrogation of him. It was an interrogation technique to test his response and to help me determine what the truth was. I acted within California law in doing so and never tried to hide any of my actions. However, today I am under oath and have sworn to tell the truth. I take my oaths as a witness and a peace officer seriously, and I would never violate them. Raines didn't like the answer, nor the condescending tone in which it was delivered. He moved papers around in front of him, seemingly searching for a new question. But he couldn't move past what had worked for him so often in the past, when trying to get under the skin of a detective on the stand. Nobody likes to be called a liar, except, apparently, Ray Pagan. Isn't it true to be a good interrogator, you have to be a good liar, Rain snapped his question. No, to be a good interrogator, you have to be good at measuring verbal and nonverbal responses. Isn't it true you would say anything to get a suspect to confess? Please answer yes or no. I apologize, I cannot answer the question yes or no. Pagan turned his head toward the judge. May I explain, Your Honor? He followed this up with a smile as if he and the judge were sharing a private joke Raines wasn't in on. Please do, Judge Billing said. Pagan turned back to make eye contact with the defense attorney. First, my job is to find the truth, not to get a confession. I am a gatherer of facts. I do not have the power to make any promises to a defendant, and I have been specifically trained to avoid even applying I can grant things like a reduced sentence. I chuckled inwardly. Every professional in the courtroom knew the Supreme Court had ruled a confession to be the most damning of all evidence. Defense attorneys will do everything they can to stop a confession from getting into evidence. If it does get into the record, then they must at all costs discredit it. Most often this is done by attacking the integrity of the investigating detective. I've been cross-examined by Raines in the past. It wasn't pleasant. He was an expert at bringing a detective's tactics under scrutiny and making them look bad in front of a jury. 
but Pagan was totally unruffled. Reigns was the one looking put out. He dug in and tried again. In the interrogation, you told my client it would be better for him to tell the truth. What did you mean? Isn't it always better to tell the truth? I wanted him to unburden himself from the guilt of his actions and not compound what he'd done with more lies. Reigns walked to the side of the podium where he was standing in a clear attempt to assert his authority. You told my client remorse was good. You told him judges and prosecutors look more favorably on people who show remorse. What did you mean? Pagan didn't hesitate. His voice was soothing, somehow implying Reigns's question was simplistic. Since we were children, we've been taught if you admitted a bad thing and expressed sorrow, you were a better person for having done so. You were an even better person if you promised not to do the bad thing again, as opposed to being unremorseful after being caught in lies. Objection, Your Honor, Rain snapped. Detective Pagan is going far beyond the scope of my questions and is verbally assuming my client's guilt. Judge Billings smiled. She'd obviously seen Pagan play this game before. These are your questions, Mr. Rains. Detective Pagan's answers are responsive and reasonable. If you are not prepared for his answers, then don't ask the questions. Overruled. Rains turned pale under his sunlamp tan. He probably couldn't remember the last time he'd been put in place by a judge. Flustered, Rains grasped at a straw. Did you know my client had been a prisoner of war incarcerated by the Japanese in the Philippines during World War II? Yes. Is that why you mentioned the film King Rat to him? To attack him with the cruel mental images in order to get him to confess? When Rain said the words King Rat, I saw the elderly defendant sitting next to him flinch. Again, Pagan was smooth. King Rat is a powerful story about redemption. It's about survival. It's about doing what you have to do to survive, which I believe was a motivation for your client's actions 30 years ago when he stabbed and killed the victim, a man who had been a POW with him and whom he eventually found out had collaborated with the enemy, causing the death of other POWs. Pagan's words tumbled out like a waterfall. He was a Shakespearean actor, delivering a soliloquy which nobody dared to interrupt. The stunned silence following his last sentence was invaded by the sound of sobbing. Look at your client, Counselor, Pagan said quietly. He has been in a prison of his own making for 30 years. He may be facing actual incarceration, but his acknowledgement of his actions has set him free. Rains turned to face the elderly man next to him. I couldn't see Hal's face, but I had no doubt tears were streaming down as he sat, rocking slightly. Any further questions, Mr. Rains? the judge asked. my goodness what did i tell you paul bishop right there with an incredible sample chapter from his latest book lie catchers i like i said it's gonna leave you wanting more so click that link in the show notes to grab that book find out more about paul and follow his show while you're in the links don't forget to click on our sponsors and podcast friends alike and don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out later this week when we are back with paul's writing and writing partner (laughs) Richard Prosh coming up here in just a couple of days so stay tuned we'll see you guys then take care this has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network